Welcome back to another episode of the Art vs. Commerce podcast. Uh, this week is sponsored by the Masters in Motion Filmmaking Conference, which is a three-day event that happens down in Austin, Texas. Uh, past guests have include guest speakers have included the DP of Game of Thrones, the editor from Breaking Bad, editor of Birdman, production designer of Master of None, and that was all in one conference. Uh, it's pretty great. The uh, networking possibilities are also wonderful. A lot of great people. Um, Everybody very like-minded, and it's just a super social couple of days. It's always a lot of fun. And uh, for more information, you can go to shooteditlearn.com. And while I was down there for Masters of Motion, I sat down with one of the guest speakers, uh, Andy Baker, who is the Senior Vice President and Group Creative Director for National Geographic Channel and Nat Geo Wild. Um, he's actually worked a bunch with... Uh, a few of the other podcast guests that I've had on. He does a lot of stuff with Variable, a lot of stuff with Joey L. And, you know, I think it's really interesting when the idea came up to have him on the show because he's obviously in a different position than um, a lot of the other people that have been on in that, you know, he, he's primarily a, a client and he doesn't uh, shy away from that. He has a blog called The Client Blog where he breaks down how, you know, the way that he views a lot of these great um, cinematic projects that he's a part of. Uh, but I think it really speaks to him in that, you know, he, he has a very, he has a certain level of self-awareness where he understands the dynamics at play and what's at, what's on the line and how people are feeling. And, you know, all, all the stuff that we've been talking about in other episodes, he's aware of as the client in the room. But, you know, I think if he, he goes about it and, and has a level of honesty and openness where, at a certain point, all of that kind of goes away, and it's just a lot of people all collaborating on on a common goal. And um, the way that he breaks it down, the way he views everything, and the way he thinks people on his side, quote-unquote, view everything, then, um, you know, you start to just appreciate that he is an artisan of his own craft, uh, especially when a lot of the projects that he does, he's developing the idea uh, with his team uh, that he then presents to, you know, um, people to go execute and that, that he's a part of that as well. So, uh, you know, it's not a stretch. The guy is an artist in his own right. Um, he goes about it in, in, a, in a different way. And, um, you know, I think when you're doing projects like Saints and Strangers, which was a television movie event, and you're doing the promo and the promo is either equal to or maybe even greater than in terms of cinematic um, aesthetic, and you're you're taking you're ha taking a whole crew down to South Africa and having a massive motion picture level production day. Uh, that just speaks to what's going on in Andy's mind and how he likes to do things. Uh, so to sit down with him and and hear that breakdown and hear how he approaches things, I think it's great. I mean, I I really enjoyed hearing it because it brings a new perspective to the people that you have to work with every day, especially in the commercial filmmaking environment. But I guarantee, you know, we all have clients no matter what our industry is. So learning to appreciate um, how they are trying to collaborate with you and how you can be a better collaborator with them. Um, for me, that's, you know, that's the whole point. So really grateful that he came on and uh, really psyched about what we talked about. So thanks for being here.
going into my senior year of college, I didn't know what I was going to do for a living. And I took this class about writing for radio and TV because I knew writing was something I always, as a kid, had enjoyed doing, writing term papers. And I was always terrible at math and, and the sciences. Um, but I always loved writing and the kind of the process that went into crafting a, a thought and putting it onto paper. And so I think once I took that running for radio and TV, it just one thing led to another. I got an internship at a local NBC affiliate. And when you were when you were trying to get that internship, did you have any idea in what capacity you wanted to work in that environment? Not really. Was it uh, more to test the waters and see what you liked? Yeah, it was sort of just test the waters. It was it was something that was there. I was actually signed up to take, I think it's the LSAT or the GRE or something. I was assuming I was going to go to law school because at that time, what else do you do with a history major? I wasn't sure. So I figured, I guess I'll go to law school and see where this goes. And um, But this was an option like, oh, cool, like media or doing something maybe in commercials. Who knows? Because I interned with a small group as part of that affiliate TV station that basically they did local car commercials, local commercials for, you know, people to advertise in the six o'clock news or whatever. And I was like, wow, these people make commercials for a living. How cool is that? And granted, they're like really small commercials for really small clients, but there's still something that was really fun about that. And it's just sort of like once I got into that station as an intern, I was just sort of like a tick. I just didn't let go. I just trained myself and learned as many things as I could. And, um, you know, one of those things, one thing led to another and I got a job here and there and kind of working my way through the station. And now, I mean, was there, at what point did you start to, did the exact department start to cement in your mind? And when did you start realizing which companies you wanted to work for? How did that come to be for you? Um, I think a lot of it was, um, I was that classic kid that always wanted to get to the movie early to see the trailers. I always love the trailers and I always still remember that it's the whole movie experience as a kid that was special, but I loved the trailers and just got me so excited. And I always, I don't know if I consciously thought like, Oh wow, they're able to tell a story in two minutes. That's actually a two hour film. I, I don't think it ever got to that level, but it was more of like, I loved that emotion and the power and the simplicity and the shortness of it. So I always was sort of attracted to that shorter form storytelling. And I think that internship, you know, I didn't go intern in the news department to like tell a 10 minute story. I went and worked for the promo department for the uh, local, you know, TV commercial department and that sort of thing. So um, I think it was that idea of marketing and promotion. I just sort of naturally found my, I found my way into that in the, uh, in, in, at the channel. I worked in the news department a little bit as an editor because editing was sort of my way in because it's hard to, to crack in the industry as a writer. So editing was like a good hands-on way to do stuff. Yeah. Um, but, and editing is also the visual form of writing. Right. I right. mean, I think. Yeah. And having control over telling the story and how you're going to do it. So I was a news editor for a while and I taught myself how to edit on like a cut to cut um, and then like a Grass Valley switcher old school type of thing. And then I there was a job opening up in marketing as an, a marketing editor. And I was like, perfect. I can do 30 second commercials rather than, you know, stuff that's longer. It's interesting that you're viewing it as like the, it's the same art form as a trailer. I mean, it is. And it makes total sense. I, it's funny. Even now I'm like, wow, I never realized you're making trailers for TV shows. Yeah. Yeah. Most of the trailers are 30 seconds, which is a different sort of challenge. I view them as yeah. promo. Like they've always been a promo in my mind, but there's no difference. Yeah. There's the, no difference yeah the concept's the same. Yeah, it's still com- bra- How do you break down a story to its component parts and then make it really sexy or watchable yeah. or like, I want to see Uplifting. that. The idea is still the same. It yeah. always ends with a good old mic drop. Exactly. Yeah. You want to leave people feeling, Oh my God, I, I got to see that. And yeah. I, I love that feeling more. So I never really had an interest in making films or making longer form. Why show do you think content. that is? I think it's like an attention span. I love the idea of just boiling it down and making something, you know, I love the simplicity of 
messing with every single frame and the timing in a short form thing, which you, I just don't think you can do the same degree in a longer form film. I mean, yes, there's a huge amount of detail that goes into it, but I just think it's, it's a different thing. I love that challenge of how do I break this down to the shortest possible way to tell a story and it's it's all sort of sexy too to me to like make a trailer whether or not it's loud or emotional or whatever it's like there's something it's just sort of like i want to get that goosebump and then get out and then like you want to go and see more of it and i love that idea of just kind of like keeping it simple more so than a show is it also that the projects are shorter and that your Mm -hmm. your actual project attention span you can shift to something totally new quicker yeah i love that i love variety you know i think that's sort of the the history major me of like tackling lots of different topics and lots of different genres. And I think at Nat Geo, it's like I'm working on eight different campaigns at one time. And I love that being able to kind of shift gears from how are we going to promote a show about pilgrims in the first Thanksgiving to then shift to like, okay, here's this show about tuna fishermen or whatever. I just love that variety. And I think, I don't know if I could spend like a whole year working on one subject, one thing. Maybe I could, I've never tried it, but it's to me, it's like, I like the idea of changing stuff around. This seems like it's been pretty concrete in terms of what you thought you wanted, that you enjoyed the short form stuff. Going through, I think, were there moments where there were any revelations about what you wanted to be doing? And do you recall what those moments might have been or when you realized a thought or an event that set you on a trajectory? Um, It's funny. It's like to me, it's 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 been just a series of lots of little discoveries along the way that I think has, so not, there's not been one sort of eureka moment, you know, and with my personality, I think it's also sort of, I like to do something and dive fully into it. And then often sometimes I'll, I'll move to something else because when I first started after that internship and I was sort of working as a production assistant at this local TV station, I learned how to shoot. And so I shot with like an old beta cam camera and I learned how to edit and I was writing stuff. And, um, so for a long time I was really into the, to shooting and learning and training myself to do that. And then I got to a certain point and then I was like, okay, I want to learn how to edit. And at the time we were really lucky. We had an avid. So for a local TV station to have a media composer and like no one else was knew how to use it. So I dove into that. And so for a long time I kind of considered myself an editor. And so I, a lot of these different things I like dive into and to be totally honest about it like I loved having that control of shooting something myself or editing something myself sure but I was never like a tech guy that like that that just want to do that one thing and just become a total master of that piece of technology because well, I was going to ask if you're shooting and editing your own stuff and you're able to use at the time what was cutting edge technology what at some point that stopped yeah I mean I, it evolved yeah I think it evolved because what I became interested in was the whole process and I think what I discovered was that I was I was I was good at helping make work better maybe you know and that's kind of the creative director role is to kind of help coach it through or help find a way to make it that much better to push someone to kind of make it a little bit better and I'm also like I said I'm not a super technical like whenever I was on Avid and there like the computer it would crash or like I needed to update software I was just sort of lost and I didn't really have the interest to like figure out how to solve it. So I knew it was like, okay, I'm never going to become like just an editor because I don't have the tech desire to learn that. How'd you figure out that you were good and that you enjoyed helping projects that you weren't the, I guess, lead executor? Um, I don't know. (laughs) To be honest, I, I don't know. I think I started doing it. I, I was always, I've been really fortunate in my career. I've been given, amazing opportunities to grow and I've been at National Geographic for like 16 years now and it's because not just because I'm lazy and haven't wanted to go somewhere else it's because I've always had a great opportunity to look 
to kind of expand my role there. So I was like, oh, you're editing and writing the spot. And then it's like, oh, here we manage this person and help, help them with their promos. Like, sure, cool. I can help give them advice or thoughts on edits and stuff like that. So. I mean, it's also National Geographic. It's kind of a place that I, I would imagine a lot of people don't ever want to leave. Sure. Yeah. I mean, people do. It's still media. You know, I'm still working in the media business where people, you know, job hop around from jobs in order to kind of move up. And for me, it was never like, I'm going to be creative director someday. And if I don't get it in two years, I'm going to leave. To me, it was just like, I've always, I'm happy doing what I'm doing. And then I get another responsibility. And I'm like, Oh, cool. Let me, let me bring that in too and figure out how I can do that really well. And I think it started with managing people and managing, helping their projects get better. And yeah. I just how'd, how'd you land the job in the first place? Uh, that's a funny story. I was working, I had moved up to DC in 97 from where, uh, from Winston-Salem where I first started. So after Wake Forest, I went and worked for the local NBC station, WXII. And, uh, in the affiliate TV world back in the 90s, so it was the mid-90s, um, that was the best place to start because you could learn, which is kind of what I did, is you learn how to do everything because there's no there's no budgets. You know, you're just promoting local newscasts. So I was shooting promos with lots of anchors doing head turns and arms crossing and stuff like that, and, uh, but learning how to do conceptual thinking and promos. Um, so in the affiliate world, you sort of hop around from market to market. So at that point, I was like, oh, cool, I want to be a senior producer, so let me go to Washington, D.C., and I worked at ABC for a while, and then I was over at Fox. Um, and after a while I got kind of tired of doing local news promos and I, I was, see uh, yeah, how so fatigue it, grows yeah, in. You, you get fatigue and it's all like sweeps based at that time. It was all like July sweeps. Like let's ramp oh, out yeah. the, Especially you, you in know, the I team investigates. Yeah. So all that stuff. And, and it was fun and I got to take a lot of chances and I learned a ton, but I was sort of a little burned out and my then boss was going over to work at National Geographic, which was just about to launch. And so, you know, I was, I went freelance for a little while. Oh, I didn't realize that that's when Yeah, it launched the in 2001. Launched. It launched, launched in 2001. So in 2000, it was like the year they, they the spent to kind of get it all ready, to prep it, to get all the content ready. And so um, I was freelance for a while. And then um, I moved over to National Geographic, which was owned. It was a Fox uh, thing. And I was working for a Fox affiliate. So it was like I was able to move over to National Geographic. Kismet. Fox. Yeah. So it all worked out. And I worked for... Um, a great boss who was my mentor and she, you know, taught me a lot. And I just was, like I said, I was, I've been really fortunate to get a lot of great opportunities. And so it's like, Hey, you want to learn how to manage these people or manage this budget? Now we're going to go in bigger shoots and things just kind of expanded and I've just sort of rolled along with it. You know, would you call it your dream job? Yeah. I love what I do and I'm super lucky and I feel fortunate every day to go in and get to go and shoot promos or write stuff and make commercials or billboards in Times Square. I mean, I'm extremely lucky and I I love it. It sounds like when you were starting off, you weren't sure that it was your dream job then. Mm -hmm. It was like the next thing. It was an opportunity. Right. Was there a moment even years into it where you took us maybe like a step back and like, oh man, like this is fantastic. And it kind of happened and you you almost, it, it caught up to you. Um, I think so. I, I'm always someone who sort of lives in the moment. So I'm always sort of aware, like, and even when I was working in affiliate TV, I still enjoyed it and I still loved it and realized that I was really fortunate, but I never kind of like stood out of myself and like looked and had a plan. I think, you know, I, I've, I've said before on my blog or whatever about my career strategy doesn't necessarily work for everybody. My career strategy was always sort of like, whatever I'm doing right now, I'm going to do it as well as I possibly can. And really just like, jump in all the way and I'm all in. And then whenever I do that, then a new opportunity would present itself within the same job. And I'd kind of do that too. But I never was like, I'm going to, I was never looking down the road too much, like something else I wanted to achieve. And I don't know if that works for everybody, but it worked great for me. And I, yeah. and I kind of like now when I sit back now, I've got a little more perspective. I've done it for so many years that I, I can imagine I can there were some it. benefits there in not feeling 
restless or, no. you know, not feeling that you needed to, you might have been easier on yourself a little mm, bit. You yeah. think that's true? I think so. I'm a creature of habit in a lot of ways. You know, I eat the same thing for lunch most days, you know, and someone even noticed today at Masters of Motion, like, hey, you're sitting in the same seat you sat in last year. I'm like, yeah, I guess so. I am a creature of habit. And sometimes I need to be shaken out of those habits, I think, like any good creative does. Um, but in terms of the bigger things, like working at the same place, like I'm a creature of habit, as long as I'm still being challenged. And I think that's the key is like, I've been at Geo for 16 years, but it doesn't mean I've been doing the same thing. And I've, you know, yeah. with each year, some new challenge comes up or something new that keeps me excited and keeps me invigorated and keeps me feeling like it's fresh. So on the outside, I guess it looks looks the same, but um, things are constantly changing, especially media now. Like things are like completely in upheaval. So yeah. it's like to be adapting with that, that's the new exciting challenge. Like how are we going to stand out and everything like that? Yeah, no, at this point I could see how it stays riveting. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's challenging, but riveting for sure. Yeah. Now, um, we were talking beforehand. And you're like, so how do how do I fit in to this conversation? That being the the podcast, and I think that it's really unique speaking with you because a lot of the other conversations we are talking about, how do we deal with the person that is generally filling your role to a degree? Sometimes maybe not exactly that, but but mm-hmm. the 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 person that we're talking to when we're talking about making client work, and you know, obviously, you know, with your, you have a blog and you show a certain level of, I think, one, candor, and two, self-awareness about how you know that there is this dynamic happening and you're very hyper aware of it. Where do you, where does that come from? Where does the awareness come from? Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, you have, you'd have to be pretty unaware to not think that most people really complain about their clients a lot you know like we all hear it we see it there's a blog called clients from hell you know it's like all about like look how dumb the client is you know and it's like i think yeah there's there's a lot of dumb clients you know and there's and there's a lot of jerks jerk creatives too you know there's like there's assholes everywhere right that's unavoidable and i i I started to feel like there was an overwhelming reputation that that clients are kind of dummies you know or like or that when the work is really good well, clearly the client had nothing to do with this one. They finally let you do what you wanted to do. And like, maybe that was the case. I don't know. But I think part of my goal in, in starting the blog was just be like, Hey, like to kind of show, you know, and I always say this when I talk, like I don't speak for every client in the earth and I'm not the, you know, I, I shouldn't be the, the one spokesman for all clients, but I know how we like to do things. And I know like how I like to do things. And I think I just wanted to kind of provide the other side of the coin, that other perspective that, you know, clients can be just as passionate as you are about what you do. And we're passionate about our brand and, and, and creativity and doing great work. And, uh, there's a lot of clients out there that are like that. Again, not all of them are, but, but there are a lot that are, and let's not sort of jump to conclusions that, you know, oh gosh, I hope I can get this by the client. You know, it's like, oh yeah. You know, well, I, I mean, think- the blog is an invaluable resource because to, to just show what, is going on mentally and mm-hmm. like the thought process of the other side. Yeah. Um, and I, I think especially you've opened the door in terms of your thinking on how you manage to select clients and, or select artists mm-hmm. to, to, to execute your work. Cause I was going to ask, you know, how we, going along with the awareness is that, you know, when you know what an artist sweet spot is and um, you hire them to do that thing. And then, you know, you know, when you're pushing them a little bit perhaps out of their comfort zone how do you judge how far to go or that you feel the need to only select someone specifically for one thing and that you wouldn't risk doing something else with, with them because you don't, you don't feel the, you don't feel safe doing it. Right. 
Well, I mean, we try to hire people that we think do something really well and let them bring their perspective to it, I guess. I mean, sure, there's always a degree of risk if you're working with someone you haven't worked with before, but we do our homework, you know, and we sort of know what's out there. And I think part of my goal too is like to not just say, do this and do what we want you to do. We want it to be a true, you know, it's an often used term, but it's collaboration. It's like for us to both sort of contribute, but we want to have the perspective of what that artist is bringing to it as well as them understanding us. And I think a lot of that is just sort of like mutual respect. And I think that's something that can get lost on both sides. I think, you know, the clients can be guilty of that. And I think creatives, you know, the the non-client side, whatever, um, can be guilty of that too. And I think it's just sort of like respecting the other and like you brought them in here for a reason and let's let's trust them. And then sometimes they have to trust us when we're like, look, we can't do that. That's not what our brand is all about or we, we can't take the extra level and they have to trust it too and not sort of roll the eyes or whatever. So I think it's just a, it's a two-way street. And to that end, I think, I like to think that we have a reputation of being a client that's like great to work for. And we want that. Truthfully speaking, we want that, that sort of brand impression because that means great talent's going to come and want to work with us and do their great work with us. So it's not, you know, it's not just an altruistic, we trust you. It's also because like, we know that's how we're going to get the best work is by working with people and trusting them. Do you sit down with your team to like talk about your philosophy when it comes to this stuff? Because it seems to be a pretty clear um, voice from everyone on your side. Yeah, it. We. I don't know that. I think we've had a couple of those conversations, but everybody in my team is sort of aware of the blog, and you know they're aware of my no assholes policy. Whether it's people that I hire to work on our team or people that we hire outside agencies, pretty good and, policy. And it's good policy. It's strong and it's pretty clear. And I think mission statement is it's, good. It's a mission. It's a clear mission statement, and I take it really seriously. And when you know, and I I want people to to be good to the the creatives they work with, and to you know be tough when they need to. And I think that's something I just. It's one of those things where I don't know that I have to explicitly say it every time everyone sort of knows it and everyone they're all good people and they're creative people that sort of understand why we do that and why we want to do that and like we hire a company because we think they're going to have a really great you know visual idea or great concept or whatever it is and we trust them to kind of pull that off now the other side of that too is we're honest when uh when they drop the ball we let them know but not in a non-constructive manner I guess you know we've had situations where maybe they let us down a little bit and then I'll talk to the producer and be like we need we need to let them know that it's yeah. not just like a, I'm so never going to call though. you again I'm it's... never going to call you again it's just like we need to let them know that, like we expected this and we're kind of disappointed you know we might not call you for a while or maybe we will but like we kind of got your B team there and that's not why we hired you is to get your B team, you know? And I think we're honest with them and I think it's just a healthy conversation to have. that doesn't happen often enough. No, it doesn't. And I, I think that that's excellent because instead of silence actually constructing, you're right. Like it doesn't necessarily mean that you might call them back immediately, right. but to get a, um, to keep the dialogue mm-hmm. is like a form of respect and like, Belief in what they are actually capable of. Yeah. Which, I mean, it it doesn't happen often enough. You said yeah. that perfectly. Yeah. I think it's important. It's important to just have that dialogue because I think that's kind of links back a little bit to what I was with the blog. It's like, it's a topic that, you know, the, the client's perspective is just not talked about. And a lot of clients don't because either they don't want to or it's too much, you know, they want to be private and kind of secretive about how they do stuff. And I think, yeah, there's some secrets, of course, that everyone can't talk about budgets or whatever. But yeah. but I think there are things that we should all be more open and honest about. And we are. I think it'll, it helps everybody. Like, I don't mind if my competitors read the blog because I'm not sharing anything proprietary. Right. But if that makes the industry that much stronger, the work that much better, like, that's, that's I mean, great, you know? we could all hope that they just copy <laughs> your philosophy because I think it would be a cooler industry to work in. Well, um, but then here's a question. 
you know, I, there is a fine line between, for, uh, in a creative's mindset of just being a yes man to what you guys are asking for, mm-hmm. and having some sort of um, candid pushback if it's like they have a feeling or they feel strongly about an idea that they have. And obviously this comes up during prep and going back and forth uh, before you set a plan. Where's the line? Like how far, I mean, I know we're speaking abstractly and not about a specific example, but mm-hmm. how do you deal when, like when, 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 a, when you guys say, you know, we want to do this and maybe a director comes back, he's like, I hear you, but I feel really strongly. Like what goes through your mind? How, how far is okay to go when someone has like a, really strongly held belief about a, about an idea? Yeah, uh, it's a great question. It is, it's an abstract-ish question, so it's hard to kind of answer in a concrete format. I yeah. think um, we want that. I don't want people that are just yes, yes men or whatever to like just do whatever we say. And that's not how we actually enter the conversation. Usually it's like, what do you guys think? And let's batter on some ideas. So we're kind of, we try to be open from the start. In some cases, we're like, we have an idea and we want to execute it. We want to bring it to you and here's what we would like to do and that happens and the thing is I think in those situations we're clear up front before we hire someone mm. look we have a concept we have a script and we want you to carry it out are we are, we, are you cool with that and then so we're sort of honest from the beginning um, but in situations kind of mid project where the director or someone feels really strongly about something we certainly engage in that conversation and we're not like you know, screw you. Like we said, do this. But I think, and we think about it and we sort of have a lot of internal conversations. Do we agree? And sometimes we might agree and sometimes we might not. And ultimately like we have the final, we have the final say. And I like to think that because we've built a good reputation of being, you know, creative clients that we sort of know what we're doing and know what our brand is and how we want to express it. You know, we've rarely had a situation where there's been some like big like falling out because yeah. we wanted to do something. No, they with an attitude you know, this open that you guys have, right. I could, it, they'd have to be kind of, they'd have to be an asshole and break the mission statement. Right. <laughs> and I think too, it's like the other thing is like, that's what director's cuts are for too. True. And, and we are all, I'm all for doing director's cuts. Yes. You know, if, if someone has a, the wants to do a longer version or change something, that's totally cool. And like, we're open about that. And we well, say like, Hey, that's, a, good point. that's a great answer to the you question. Know, like yeah. allowing them to, to try their thing out and you guys being okay with it is yeah. huge. Yeah. It's totally. And that's, we're totally open to that. And we know that the media plan behind the promotion of a show is not going to include the director's cut, but you know what? Sometimes it does. Sometimes like we'll, they'll send us a, a director's cut. And this actually happened for saints and strangers. We worked with, uh, with variable and they did a 92nd director's cut. What was really different. It was, it was longer and it had more shots in it. The basic core concept was the same but they sent it to us and i was like oh my god i love this this is great and we ended up using it before some of the screenings and like we we you know i was like hey cool we love this can we use it too and uh knowing that it was like their cut but like they were more than happy to, to give us you know a version with tune in on it and stuff like that so yeah i think it's cool that you even asked <laughs> yeah yeah i i mean i love i'm always curious about director's cuts too and like i love to see them because i'm always curious like what was going on what, in what was they going on there what do they want to do maybe that they knew they couldn't do for the for the promo or whatever so. what what surprised you about that one not much surprising about the Saints. I mean, it was longer and it just had more shots in it. It had some shots we probably wouldn't have put in the promo or that we didn't put in the promo, but for very specific reasons. Right, right. Um, but I always love to see it because, and sometimes when I go to like the website of a company, I see the director's cut, I'll look and see like what was the actual spot that aired. Interesting. And try to see like, okay, did they listen to what the sort of client objective was or the marketing objective or whatever? Or they were they just doing something arty for just because it was 
artistic and were they still remembering like the reason why this exists in the first place i think that's a good director's cut is it kind of does a little bit of both you know interesting so a director's cut that is just purely for their artistic needs is not as impressive to you it's not that it's not impressive it's all impressive because it looks cool right but i think it needs to there's got to be a reason for being to some extent right you know, I mean, like it can, I'm all, I'm actually, I'm a, I'm in favor of doing creative for creative sake sometimes, yeah. but in like a director's cut and let's say in, in the example of like doing a show promo, if it's just like shots that don't help beauty shots and, no story. Beauty shots and there's no story to it or no reason why I should watch this show, then it's kind of like, then it's just like, that's just a montage reel of, of cool that visuals. Makes, like it still needs to tell a story, you know? Right. So you'd like that you, a better director's cut in your mind is still achieving the overarching goal of mm. the original bid right the original brief the original goal yeah of the project and maybe you've got a different way to tell that story or mm. maybe there's a different sequencing of it or there's a different way that you want to do it with like it's longer still, slower it should, shots it should still have the task but, at hand but it should still approach the task at hand otherwise it's sort of like why what's the what's their reason for being oh you know? yeah and huh. i think i still think it needs that how you execute it creatively is different as long as you can look at it and be like oh that's just another way of telling the same story it's cool and maybe we would have chosen this way for a reason but um, no, it makes a lot of sense I mean yeah. it's very telling for you know when you're doing your job of scouting out who you're potentially going to pick I mean that says a lot about uh, what's going on in a mental space yeah yeah we look at a lot of personal work too I mean I'm a big believer in doing personal work because that's an example of work that is 100% decisions that you made as an artist along the way and no one told you to make them um, and I, that's sometimes a, a good clue to be like, oh, cool. These guys have a sensibility that is X. And yeah. because their personal work, clearly no one said like, you need to put in more shots to the product or whatever. It's like, it's just something they did for their own sake. And I can get a real good sense of like what their interests are and their passions or their skills. And then possibly, you know, attach them to a project we have. Yeah. Um, I know that for us, when I was doing a passion project, the, the idea that it, it was a scarier thing when, like, there's no one that I can fall back on. Mm-hmm. You're, it's, the vulnerability is it's pure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, do you ever do passion projects of any kind? Well, that's what the client blog is. I guess, yeah, the client blog is one true. big passion project. I would think this podcast is probably a passion project for you as well. Oh, it's, yeah, totally. It's a, it's a topic that's interesting to you. And so for me, like I said, I'm not, I'm, I'm not a painter, you know, or I don't have my own camera and to go out and shoot short films or anything, but like I love, and it's funny because like that original skill you asked me about like is writing and I love writing, you know, pieces in the client blog and the, yes, there is, it does tie back to my job and yes, there are things I probably can't say in there, you know, as opposed to a personal project where you can do whatever you want, but, but it is sort of my own, my own avenue for expression or outlets or whatever. So that, I guess that's probably mine. Yeah. Where did it? Um, originally come up what what itch was it scratching um i think it was sort of like i said it's like to tell that different story and i remember the the exact genesis moment i was actually i read a blog post um from one of your former guests vincent laferre and he wrote a post about i think it was about onset etiquette and it was a pretty about and, and who he likes to hire right so he wrote a mm. whole post about the kinds of crew members he likes to hire in a job and he talked a lot about what he's looking for and I read this post and I was like man that's really interesting it's like I hadn't seen that kind of post I think it got it got picked up and got you know it's a pretty popular post I just randomly kind of stumbled across it and I thought about it and I was like man you know like this is, it was really inspiring and sort of a different take and and, and again it was a perspective I hadn't heard because no one had really talked about that kind of thing that much and I thought well man I've got some interesting stories and it all stemmed back to like a project I'd done with variable years ago, are you tougher than a boy scout? Which 
for me was sort of when you asked about moments that sort of changed things. Now that I think about it, that was that production, that shoot was a moment that sort of changed things. How so? Um, before that, it was a big production. It was a shoot, and we went out in the woods, and it was for the show called "Are You Tougher Than a Boy Scout?" Which is sort of a it was a, it was a reality show all about um, pitting Boy Scouts against sort of weekend warrior guys, and like who could be stronger, who could do more challenges or whatever. Um, but the cool thing is, we went to shoot the promo up in the woods in, in like upstate New York, and we all stayed in this big group house, and it was this sort of summer camp experience. Yeah, and it was the first blog post that I had written about was sort of like how that changed my perspective. And to be honest, before that shoot, I actually didn't really enjoy shooting that much or being on shoots or really? productions. And the reason why is it was always sort of a nerve wracking process i always felt well, there's like a lot on the line there's a lot on the line and i i worked with a lot of companies i think or agencies over the years where i did feel like the quote client where i wasn't necessarily welcome or my perspective i was kind of there because i had to be but like it was just always a very stressful and not that pleasant of an experience so you, you always felt the cold shoulder that you were given i wouldn't say always but enough that i was sort of like i don't enjoy this that much and i yeah. wish it could be like a true partnership and um, and that shoot, that shoot changed it in a big way. Was that way. Variables first with you? No, that was their second. It was like, okay. it was like three weeks after their first, they'd done one for a show called Taboo, which was like a one day studio I shoot. I remember that, yeah. Um, and it was really cool. And then we went to Are You Tougher Than a Boy Scout and that was over the course of like a long weekend and we had literally had a house. We were all staying in this house together. We ate together. We, and it, it was a film real camp, sort of man. like, it was a true film camp. And during the day, because the light was bad, we couldn't shoot in the daytime. So it was like hanging out, shooting the shit all day. And then we'd shoot at night in the sunrise and the early evenings and catch Sounds the best like light. Blast. It was an absolute blast. And like I said, it changed how I saw production and what production could be. And I think that's what led me to write that post. It's like, man, like if you work with the right people and you've got the right project totally and you've inspired. got the right attitude, it was inspiring to be like, man, this is like awesome. And I just kind of like went full in and then I wrote that blog post about it and, um, you know, off it went and it was just sort of like, wow, it's a cool different perspective. Yeah. And I mean, do you, when you got back from that, how long until you, some tangible changes were being made to your approach? Uh, I mean, it happened during the shoot because I remember one night we'd wrapped and we were like sitting around the fire or something and we'd already hired Variable to do the Killing Lincoln campaign. And so Killing Lincoln it probably still stands as my favorite campaign I've ever worked on. It's and that's rad. because it was it was rad, but it was also, it was like the history guy. I and mean, like my senior thesis I was talking about earlier was all about Lincoln's and post-Civil War and all this kind of stuff. So I loved that particular period. So I'd had this idea in my head of like what I wanted to shoot. So this whole idea of like them looking down the barrel of the lens as Booth is about to kill um, Lincoln was so this sort of, I had this idea. So I remember us all sitting around there while we were shooting Tougher Than Boy Scout at night wrapped. And me and John and Joey L were all sort of like sitting around, like shooting around ideas. And Tyler Ginter and Khalid was there. We were all just like kind of vibing off of it. And there's this mad energy of just like, whoa, what if we did this? Like, we get this crazy crane. And like, they're like pulling up links from movies. Like, what if we shot it like this? And I was just energized. It was completely like, wow, this is awesome. So we were brainstorming that next shoot. And then when we did Lincoln, again, it just sort of built on itself and it yeah. fed into itself this sort of like, wow, this is what production could be. It doesn't have to be. It, yes, it's pressure filled and yes, there's a lot in the line, but man, if you do it with the right people in the right, the right way and the right approach, it is exhilarating and it's, and it hasn't changed since. So. Cool. Cool. And I mean, when you came back to the offices, were you actively t speaking about projects differently with members within your own 
department? Like, were you saying we're gonna ch- we're gonna start changing the way that we approach things? Um, I did have a what little. Were those I did have a little bit of the Jerry Maguire moment um, <laughs> with my team. Like later on the line, I kind of like said, like, I want to shoot more. You know, because we for a long time, a lot happens. It's hard in in cable TV to have the budgets to shoot all the time. And you do a lot of what we call clip spots, which is like taking the show and editing a promo out of that. We still do a ton of that. And I still you can make fantastic clip spots. But I think I saw an opportunity to do something bigger and something that was like more creative and like allowed for more conceptual space because oh, when, you're, is, when you're cutting clips end. from the show yeah when you, when you cut from clips from the show there is a certain limit i mean it's not i hate to say limit but like it's just a different sort of skill set and i thought you know like if we can shoot more we can expand and make the channel feel that much more cinematic or that much more visually stunning you know and i think it gives us more flexibility more creativity and freedom and i think that's what we've set out to do and i think we're doing well i mean yeah seeing the evolution of it going from really high-end promos that are impressive to now i mean saints and uh, strangers is a mini movie especially like the director's cut so that's a little bit of a length to it i mean that's it there's no difference in the production quality yeah and and they actually used one of the shots from the promo shoot in the show um, they used several of the shots in the show. Um, that says something. Which was like, I never had a feeling of like, yeah, like, haha, like we made. The, it was more of just like awesome. Like we were able to help the filmmakers of the film like fill in a gap that they needed or, or add something that added a little style. And because it synced up, the story that we told was no different than the story they were telling. We just we probably did it in a more stylized manner. But the fact they used some footage from the show was just sort of like, wow, like that's a really good feeling to know that like the filmmakers trusted us and then they put the promo stuff in the show too. And, uh, and it all worked. It all fit. And it was, it was a pretty cool feeling. Yeah, that's great. Um, going back to the conversation that you're having with the, the artists and go and the, the conversation at hand, I, I've been having this conversation, like the power of no and, and when to say it and, and when to hold your ground. Like what, what, um, when what advice can you give about creatives telling you what being strongly worded about saying no to certain things or disagreement? Um, you gotta really be self aware of when you're starting to piss somebody off and when it's when it's time to back off and when to save it for the director's cut. I think, and that that could sound really bad me saying that. I don't think so. You know, but I think it's just you know. It's honesty if it's needed. It's honesty. Like we are in a relationship business, you know, like the companies that we work with time and time again, it's, we've got a good relationship. And like I said, that, you know, the trust word it's there. So when we run into directors who, or someone or creative or whomever that has like a really strong point of view and keeps pushing it, we're very respect, like totally get it. Here's why we don't want to do that. And then if they still push after that, then it starts to be a kind of like, well, look, we can't do it that way. We really feel strongly. Yeah. We own that brand and we know what we should and shouldn't do to a degree. I think what we're looking for them is to constantly push us and yeah. maybe take us in different areas. And we have a lot of those conversations, but I think at a certain point you have to be self-aware and be like, all right, it's just not going to happen. And just tread lightly, I guess, in those situations. You don't want to piss them off or be like, oh, this guy's so difficult to work with. Yeah. You know? And I think you just have, they have to trust us, like, too, that we that we have good enough taste or judgment or whatever that we're making that decision for a reason, but we consider it all. You know? are, are you having the uh, a similar conversation with someone above you and to a point where you need to be pitching your ideas as well and, like, you can, you feel, like, you can relate to the creatives who are pitching 
bids and stuff because you you have to pitch stuff yourself yeah we do have to pitch stuff um internally you know i said it in a presentation a couple years ago at masters of motion that clients have clients too and i think that's something that's forgotten often is like once if we have a pitch situation we don't do a ton of pitching because we're sort of birthing the idea together with those agencies but in some cases like if someone pitches to us we love the idea then we have to go pitch it up the chain um we do have to you know sell it into the if it's a big project we have to sell it into the head of the network or um to the head of marketing or whoever it might be but i think one thing i feel really fortunate about is i've got a lot of bosses who really trust me and give us a lot of creative latitude and trust that if we have an idea that's a little out there, we're still gonna we're gonna pull it off and make it look good and make it work. And uh, I take that 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 trust really seriously. And like I'm really lucky to have bosses and, and executives that are that are creative minded and know that like you've got to sort of shake it up every now and then. I mean, and it's clear that they give you that leeway because the you, you know you're making bold stuff, which uh, I don't conservative minded. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think that would fly. Yeah. Um, and it's and if, I have to say too, like I've got an amazing team that is extremely creative and does it's not like it's just all me and I'm the only one pitching or I'm coming up with all these ideas. Like there's a whole team. I've got a, a large team that I work with that, that is constantly coming up with cool ideas and they've got a great track record too. And we're all sort of in it together. And I think that I think people can see that vibe they can see like, okay, cool. Like they've written the script and they feel really good about it and we're going to make it work. Now at the end of the day, you're also trying to sell a show. Mm-hmm. Like do, how do you deal with pushback that's coming when they might just be like, you know, really cool artistic idea, but we just need more selling, just like cold. Yeah. You know, to be honest with you, usually I'm that filter. Really? Um, usually I'm the one who, before it gets, before, if we have to pitch, we don't have to pitch everything up. We usually pitch like the big, big stuff yeah. up. Um, but that's usually, that's part of my responsibility. And my job is... Um, How do you wear both hats at the same time? It's, it, it can be hard because some, somebody might have a great creative idea. I'm like, but I still don't know what this show's about, you know, and, and I that's part of my responsibility. That I think I guess maybe some of that trust from above me comes from us not just doing something crazy that doesn't connect to anything at all. And that's part of my responsibility. I think it's like I want to be as creative as possible and. I love that your podcast is art versus commerce because that's a balance that we have to ride every day. I still need to make sure if we're making this promo that you, you know, you're entertaining, you, you get, it gets your attention, but you also know what it's for. You know what that product in this case, the show is going to be about. And that's something that we, on every single promo, I'm always thinking like, okay, yes, it's checking all the creative boxes, but is it, do I know what this show is about? Or is there a reason I'm being given to watch it? If it doesn't do that, then we have to figure out a way to kind of ride that art and balance, art and commerce balance, and make sure it's a little bit more commerce. And I think we're just constantly moving those dials one way or the other. Yeah, because I mean, has there been moments where you've looked at a campaign or a specific video and they haven't been as the, the returns on them, the viewership hasn't been as good as desired or what the target goal was? Mm-hmm. But you look at it and you were like, "But man, it it was beautiful, and like mm-hmm. we did we did something special." Do you? Is that, are you able to view that as a success of a certain flavor or does it really need to be tied to the results in order for you to, to, to feel holistically happy about it? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think I still look at, yeah, ratings are important, but it's bigger than that. And also whether a show, if a show does great, it's not because just of the promo. And if a show does poorly, it's not just because of the promo either. So True. there is a little bit of, there's a lot of gray area to not know whether or not the success is you know in part because of what we did or be in spite of what we did you know so um 
so I, I generally, I try to step back and look at the whole project. It's like, am I proud of that? Does it feel like, you know, our team like really nailed the promise of what the, the brief kind of outlined for us to do? Does it feel like visually stunning and memorable and all sorts of things? And, you know, yes, when you have a great rating, that helps too. But in cases, you know, there's been a lot of cases where we've done a really kick-ass promo for a show that totally tanked. But that's TV too. Like there's just, there's way more, there's way more tanks than there are <laughs> victories, I'd say. That's true. <laughs> just in general. Yeah, you know. It's tough. So you kind of get used to it, but you're always trying to push and you get really passionate about certain projects. So. What do you think the balance is between, you know, needing to sell and and the art? You're, I guess you, you, you're doing that in prep and once you once you move past that point and you've decided you just let it it lies where it lies um it never lies where it lies there's always a way to to turn a dial one way or the other a little Hmm. bit more Uh, a a perfect example is saints and strangers um when we first started looking at the cuts it's beautiful there's no doubt about it we all got goosebumps like this is gonna be amazing but when we looked at it and you have to step back and look at something objectively. You can't get caught up in your own the beauty. The more pretty the it gets, the harder right. it gets so to do. You have to step back objectively. And when we looked and stepped back objectively, I was like, I don't know that I know this is a show about the pilgrims and Thanksgiving. Like, how are we going to like solve? Because there's no there's no script in it. It's mm-hmm. you know, I mean, there's a script because the Brad William Bradford is sort of reciting this prayer and thankful for all these things. And so there's all this great action of these two groups and what's going to happen between them. But because the goal of the show was to show the pilgrim story you didn't know, ironically, like you didn't know they were pilgrims, you know, because <laughs> it looks different than what you expect. So so then we had to figure out how are we going to solve for that and what are things we can do to make sure that it's clear, like this is a pilgrim, this is a Thanksgiving type of story and the show's airing before Thanksgiving for a reason. So in that case, adding title cards, New Plymouth, you know, the time stamp, you know, and like we did some edit changes that made it like, a little bit more feel a little bit more clearly pilgrim like things like you know the real thanksgiving story and in end tags so there's lots of little ways you can finesse it so a, a project's never baked once after you come back from the shoot there's always ways that you can fix it in post i guess or well, adjust yeah. it to like well, it make requires, sure it's telling the story you want it requires to. having that footage so were you g- g- grabbing a lot of stuff that felt more straightforward just in case no, um, we knew we were going to be cutting promos that use show footage only once we got it. Um, but I think the concept itself is it one of those like uh, the concept itself was really well done and like looked fantastic. But the takeaway wasn't exactly what we wanted to brief, mm. you know, to nail it in terms of clarity. Like this is a pilgrim story you don't know sort of thing. So and it didn't take that much. Honestly, it didn't take that many major alterations to to kind of get it there. It was a couple little trims or whatever but i think that's just something that we have to do all the time is like take a step back and be like do we you know and that's often my that's my job is to kind of make sure like do we know this is doing what we wanted it to do that the show is like is coming through clearly and uh that's a daily conversation in my in in my office on projects is we're like i'm not sure i know what this totally is for yet well i gotta believe that's the conversation of anyone in the trailer business Mm -hmm. it's like how do you yeah. You, you can't give it away, but you got to tell enough. And that's yeah. like yeah. a constant yeah. trying to find that. I've heard it's really hard. The trailer business, like the true movie, movie trailer, trailer business, business is like a cutthroat brutal. You have At no one desire? Point, I did until I started. The more I heard about it, the more it's like there's like tons of focus grouping and oh, there's yeah. all this like crazy politics and multiple sure. version. And it's like, and because there's that high degree of political and the, you know, the pressure of like opening weekends and stuff like that, it's like, I'm sure it gets pretty insane. So it must be nice having the, you know, the, there's a, level of ambiguity in the in the tv well, show yeah, trailer know. business promo business i don't know that it's that it's nice i'd love to have more 
clarity sometimes. But True. I think my goal was not necessarily like, okay, I'm going to go work in trailers. It was like, how can I make our promos feel like trailers? And, yes. and, and I think that's been kind of the goal is like, how do we make them feel more cinematic, feel more expensive for lack of a better term, like feel like National Geographic sort of deserving to have that that brand, that logo attached to it. And that's been the goal. And the great thing is, is like I work with a lot of incredible people and people all throughout the channel. And so like the, that political cutthroat vibe that can be in, you know, pervasive in Hollywood is it's not happening, you know, at National Geographic anyway. So. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, we spoke about it a little bit earlier, but just to, going back to the the way in your philosophy and the way in which you bring it um, to your position and role, how different do you think, are there, do you find that people in your role in other institutions are, do you think that people are getting a bad rap and that there's actually a lot of people that come to it with your level of um, consciousness or, or is it a bit are in the minority? I don't know, to be honest with you. Like I, I, I think there are, but I don't, I mean, I have awareness and I know a lot of people in the industry, but um, I don't, you know, it's, it's a tough question because I don't know how they, and it's funny because I don't know if they are because part of the reason why I started that blog is because I had no idea like how other people are how other it? people would do stuff, and so I thought, well, let me put out how we do it, you know, and like maybe that'll, I don't know, change the conversation or kind of evolve, you know, whatever. So, so I'm not totally sure. I'm sure that there are, and me saying I don't know doesn't mean like yeah, we're the only ones who do it. Oh, like yeah, yeah. it's more of just like. I trust that there probably are, and there's some that probably that probably don't. You know, we get a lot of. I'll say that we do get a lot of feedback from agencies we work with that, that, like? that they love to work with us. Do and they go into specifics? Just that we, you know, we've got I've got a great team and people that are easy to work with and they're honest and transparent and want to do the same thing, which is to make great work and and have fun doing it. And I think that's the feedback I get. And that makes me really happy. Not only because that's how we should all behave, right? That's the kind of like energy we should put out there. Um, but it also like it engenders a lot of desire of people to do great work with us. And, and that makes, that makes everybody win, you know? So that yeah. the feedback I get from, from friends or colleagues in the industry or in or agency contacts, or whatever, it's like, they love to work with us and they want to continue working with us. And to me, that's like, cool. That's, that's all I need is to know that like, we've got a good reputation and that we're doing pretty good stuff yeah i mean i'm not it, it comes as no surprise um and i guess starting to wrap it up how how do you how are you defining success for these for for the work that you do it's it's, it's hard to define artistic success right like, it is uh and that's, that's i guess that's why you asked the question I, it's <laughs> um you know it's like I guess beyond the obvious answer of ratings or whatever, because that's something that's again not not tangible, the ours or not. I think it's like just getting that, getting recognition from your peers and all that is 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 really nice. But I think we all are, have been doing this long enough to know, like when we do something that we're really proud of. And I think um, doing work that we're proud of that that either it doesn't even have to get recognition, but just like it just looks like it looks good and it feels high quality and it feels like it's living up to the brand. And it was, you know, we've done some really fun jobs this past year that are sort of different and sort of challenging. And that's what I love. We talked a little about the variety of, of work in the, what I do and how much I love that. I think being able to jump from one project that's really cinematic and epic to like, okay, now let's do a comedy spot. Like being able to do that and walking away and feeling like both of them 
nailed it is like an extremely satisfying feeling. So I don't know if that's a totally clear answer, but it's like, it's one of those things like sometimes you know it when you see it and when you're, when your team feels good about it and your team feels proud of it and then, and you do as well, it's like, it all sort of comes together and feels like, man, like we're so lucky to be doing what we do. Like we get to make TV commercials and trailers and, um, and we haven't talked too much about that, but like we do a lot of key art too. We work with photographers and billboards and stuff like that. So all that sort of work is just like really fun and satisfying and it yeah. just keeps, it keeps feeding on itself, you know? Yeah. So that's success of any campaign. How, do, how are you defining success for yourself in the role that you serve? Like if you were a success, if you had successful contribution yeah. to the bigger goal. I'm a, I'm like, um, I'm a big believer in like happiness as a success. You're right. And I'm, Amen. I'm, uh, I'm really happy doing what I do. I'm happy with the team that I work with and I'm not someone who's always like, but what if I was happier <laughs> over here you know i'm like well, man i'm really happy right well, now that goes back to what we discussed earlier yeah and it's like i'm really happy doing this and and i always feel challenged too you know we've got i mean there's a lot of change in the horizon in the industry in the business and even with national geographic um you know we're sort of we're coming out with some more projects that are higher tier more premium feeling you know and like working with some a-list Hollywood talent and that sort of thing. So, so the brand is pushing itself um, because nonfiction is a very cluttered and difficult environment right now. And, and the ratings are bearing that out that it's, it's struggling in the nonfiction category in cable TV. And so you've got to have a strong brand. You got to do, you've got to have great shows. I mean, the bar is so high, you know, there's so much great content, so many great shows that viewers have a choice of. You've got to make great stuff that people want to watch. And I think, that challenge is something that's really motivating and really sort of fun to try to keep up with and to push ourselves and to continue to do the best stuff we possibly can because it's it's just it's a very very difficult climate right now in the media industry and uh, that's that's energizing. Well, yeah, because I mean, I was going to ask in line with the success discussion, the internet with fracturing everything and it's just making quantifying any sort of, mm -hmm. you know, tangible success harder. Yeah. How are you finding that, it, that it's all yeah. impacting your job? Um, we don't look at daily ratings as much, to be honest with you. We look at, there's a lot of like live plus three, which is basically when people play back something off of their DVR, we're able to track like if they do it within three days and then you can, you know, monetize that with ad sales and stuff like that. But, um, I think, it's, I think the industry is changing a little bit where it's not just about ratings. It's also recognition, um, you know, from a trade play or media. Like there's a lot of shit like FX is a network. I have a lot of respect for and they're creative for their marketing is always like best in class and mm. they do incredible work and their shows are really good. Fargo is like one of the, is if not the best show on TV, it's one of them for sure. Yeah. And they do such a great job. And, but a lot of their shows that, that are really, really excellent. Louie is a great example. It's an excellent show and nobody watches it. It's got really low ratings, but they continue to do it because of what it represents prestige. and what it stands for. There's a prestige there. And it's like, we're going to play in this controversial, this, you know, edgier space. And I think that's really exciting that like more brands are saying like, we're going to take bigger risks and not just like cancel it after a season if it doesn't rate. Like let's try some different things and get some recognition and get people to say like, Hey, this is a brand in FX's case all about taking risks and going to the edge and doing things that are sort of fearless. And I think that's, that's exciting because that means there's going to be more creative um, success or, you know, there's going to be failure too, but there's going to be a lot of success when you, when you take those bigger swings. Yeah. And are you, are you having those types of talks at your, where, where you are? Because like with Nat Geo, just saying, 
let's think of things that we really want to do because if it, after a season it's not stellar ratings, we we know that we can go at it and and keep making it better. And yeah, it's definitely happening. It's definitely happening that um, you know I think we're going to be moving away from the the space where nonfiction has been living, which is that sort of ocu soap sort of yeah. sort of area and i think a lot more now it's that's no big secret you know it's like a lot of viewers have gotten burned out in that stuff and i think doing stuff that feels higher quality better made i mean yeah we've got to deliver on the goods but i think making those types of shows is is where the industry's headed because um there's so many choices for viewers and it's um, got to be so exciting it, it, it's exciting and it's it's you know it's stressful too because you got to make yeah. good shows you got to get recognized you got to make sure it feels on brand i think what we're doing kind of moving forward is like leaning even more into what the brand is all about, but just making sure that it evolves to like be seen as something highly entertaining and highly you know buzzworthy or whatever it might be. And I think finding those right shows, it's, it's hard. It's just, it's a hard world out there. If you're yeah. a programming exec trying to find those, that, that where do you think that they're looking to get that, that, that they weren't looking at before, like the inspiration, where do you think it's coming from? Um, I think, like I said, it kind of comes back to the brand of like, what does the brand stand for? Now, how can we take those core ideals of science or adventure or exploration, technology, yeah. whatever, and find a way to tell that story in a different way? And I think trying to find, and there's a lot of people, one of the really fortunate things is we have such a, we have a strong legacy brand, right? It's been around for a long time and people love to work with it or make films, you know, for it or whatever. And so having that is really helpful and it's attracted. I mean, we've worked with Ron Howard and Paul Giamatti and recently, and we're going to be, you know, working with Brian Grazier and all, you know, so we're like, we're starting to work with those guys who know how to tell amazing stories. And if you can combine that with, um, the core attributes of what National Graphic does well, I mean, things look pretty good. You know, we, we've got to nail it of course, but I think having those ingredients is pretty exciting. So working with storytellers who, who haven't done nonfiction as much and finding out a way to kind of take their brain power and their creativity and match it with what National Geographic does well. It's a, it's a powerful thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Andy, man, I'm, uh, it's been so much fun having you and it's been, it's been a pleasure being on your sets and I really thank you for sitting down and talking. Thanks, man. It's been, it's been fun. That was a fast hour. It goes. <laughs> it does. It does. Thanks, Thanks so much. Thanks.